Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Therefore, all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. If you and I were to go on a tour of Christian churches in our city, and every single week we went to visit another church, Christian churches, and we visited all kinds of different churches, Protestant churches, evangelical churches, mainline churches, Catholic churches, Orthodox churches, non-denominational churches, at the end of that year, Undoubtedly, we would have encountered all kinds of different people and experiences. Differences, some subtle, nuanced, others obvious. Differences in, in the way we worship and traditions and personalities. We, at the end of that time, would have undoubtedly encountered all kinds of people and experiences. But I believe the thing that we would see in every single one of those Christian churches in some way, shape, or form, be it on the wall or above a baptistry stamped onto the Bible that we're carrying, adorning the necks of the members, projected onto screens, or carved into the communion table in the lyrics of our worship, somewhere, some way, somehow, I think what we would see is the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. 
that has been central to our story. And so we're using this time leading up to Easter to hold the question, why? And what does his death, all those years ago, what does his death have to do with my life, with our lives? And we've held our question up to a fistful of texts thus far from Genesis 1, Philippians 2, last week the Gospel of John, and today, today we drive up to 2 Corinthians 5. And I confess, driving up to this text with this question is a bit overwhelming. There's so much to see. It's a bit like discovering a, a Bucky's truck stop for the very first time. I know we don't have them in this part of the country, but maybe some of you have been there. Uh, my, my kids, a few weeks ago, discovered for the very first time while visiting family in Texas a Bucky's. They said, Dad, it has everything. Like a, it's like a big truck stop. No, Dad, it has everything. And I had to look it up. They come home holding these snacks I've never heard of, and indeed, they have everything. Everything from this snack mix called beaver nuggets to buckets, like seven-pound buckets of bacon grease to their own line of deer feeders. They do. They have everything. It's a bit overwhelming. And that's a little bit the way I feel, pulling up to 2 Corinthians 5 with this text and this question, what does his death have to do with my life, with our lives? Everything, Paul says, everything, everything, and you walk in and you begin to see it. It's everything everywhere. There's a row of one size fits all. You say, no, 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 don't you mean one size fits most? No, Paul says Christ died for not for some, but for all. One size fits all. There's a line of wristbands. No longer. I no longer live for myself, but for him who died and was raised. There's an end cap, an end cap of get and give. One of those places where we see the hinge between gift and participation, older than Abraham. God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, gift, so that you might be a blessing, participation. And there's crosses all over this end cap. In the cross, we are reconciled, gift, and we are entrusted with the ministry of, oh yes, reconciliation, participation. There's a wall in the back of new creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. And it's a bit overwhelming. I confess, at least to this reader, where do I turn my eyes? Where do I turn my attention? What does his death have to do with my life, our lives, everything? But there is, there is one thing that I need to tell you a little bit more about or at least to try. One sentence, one phrase that, that captured my imagination 
all week. That's this one from the Apostle Paul. It comes right on the, the heels of the pronouncement. Christ died for all. Therefore, no longer do we live for ourselves. And then there's this sentence. So from now on, we regard no one from a human or worldly point of view. No one. Next to the phrase are some glasses, cross-shaped glasses. You ever notice the, the caption in the, the corner of your passenger side mirror on the car? It says, caution, caution. Objects may be closer than they appear. I think Christianity ought to come with a caution warning. Caution the closer you follow Jesus. And that is what we're doing, right? What we're striving at. The closer you follow Jesus, the more it's going to mess with what you see. I remember learning early in my experience in the church about the cross. And the cross is there, and the cross stands to change my sin status. And I'm not disputing that. But this is more. This is more than changing a sin status. This is changing the way we see. From now on, no longer can we see anyone from a human point of view. Not with cross glasses. You say, well, how else would we see anyone? but a human point of view. And we came out of the womb. We learned to see people from a human point of view. We, we size up risk and assets. We look at people the way all people look at people. But Paul says no more, not with cross classes. People look different. That brother, that brother... In our family, church family, your church family, your past, that brother born, born with a bad attitude, bent more than a few degrees out of shape, hard-hearted, bullheaded, not exactly tender-hearted or certainly not soft-smoking, that, that brother, that sister. That sister, bless her heart, would say, God love her because somebody has to. She looks different with these glasses on. Be careful. Be careful where you point those things, those glasses, who you begin looking at with these glasses. Be careful where you point those things. I wish somebody would have told Jesus that. Be careful. No telling who you might see. Bandit, rebel, insurrectionist. I think about the people who died on both sides of Jesus. One mocking him, the other one who can't even muster a defense. Says, you know, how do you mock him when you know we're getting what we deserve? I wonder what kind of rap sheet do you have to have for those to be your words? When that clarity passes over you and you know the end is right in front of you and you say, wait, I'm getting what I deserve. 
How much weight and shame do you have to be carrying? I wonder what he did. And Jesus looks at them (laughs) the same way Jesus looks at us. He sees all people. Paul says you put on these glasses, you try them on, and when you see, when you look at him, you see no longer from a human point of view. No, you see that brother, that sister, you see that person who cut you off in traffic, you see that coworker as someone for whom Christ died. When you see her, you see someone for whom Christ died. Now that's more than a change in sin status. It's a change in the way we see. It may not, these glasses, as you try them on, tell you exactly what to do or precisely what to say, but I will tell you, it, it will mess with the way you see. These are the kind of glasses that are jarring at first, but the longer you wear them, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the more your eyes begin to adjust. Uh, Like the disciples, Peter, James, and John, you remember, uh, there was a time where they weren't wearing the glasses, they weren't even trying, they came up on a blind man, but they didn't see a blind man. They saw a debate. They they saw the comment section underneath a news article. Who sinned? Was it him? Or was it his parents? Jesus looked differently. But you know those same people, those same people later, a few more hours with Jesus, on the other side of the cross, they must have been wearing the glasses because when they came up on another disabled man at the gate they call beautiful, when they saw the one we call a beggar, they didn't see the comment section underneath the news article, the debate. You know, if I gave her a dollar, what would she do with it anyway? Are we really helping? They didn't see that. They saw him. Stared intently at him and saw something different. Said silver and gold, I don't have, but I do have something to give. They saw someone for whom Christ died. They started looking at people differently. Here's the thing. The thing about these cross glasses, it's really, well, it's, it's less about working really hard, and it's more about remembering really well. Christ's love compels us. This is one of the places where I think we may be missing in the church. We may be missing in the motivation They say, what's wrong? What's wrong with the church today? What's wrong with the church in America? What's wrong with this congregation? Why, 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 why? And we look at the struggle, and we diagnose it all kinds of different ways about what, what we need to do, what we need to do differently, what we need to fix, what might compel us. 
Why are we bleeding people? Why is there so much of a struggle? How do we fix it? What will compel us? And we think, well, maybe, maybe church growth will compel us. More people. Success compels us. Scarcity scares us into submission, or so we think. A return to the way it was. That's what will compel us. Great preaching compels us. Dynamic worship compels us. No, Paul says, Christ's love compels us. It's one of those places where a word study may be in order. If we did a poll and divided up the translations, you might have all kinds of different words. Compel, constrain, control. Christ's love controls us, holds us together tightly. That's the root of the word. However you want to describe it, Paul says, it's Christ's love. Christ's love compels us because here's the thing about these glasses, these cross-shaped glasses. They're not just for viewing others. Try them on with me and see if you don't catch a glimpse of the way he sees, the way God sees us. Not counting our sins against us. Oh, it's not as if there weren't sins to count. It's just he's not counting our sins against us. He who knew no sin became sin. Took it on so that we might become the righteousness of God. If you're looking to be compelled this morning, look no further. Christ's love compels us. He who knew no sin. Scott McKnight calls it identification for the sake of incorporation. He knew no sin, but he became sin. He took on sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. If he was going to come in, he was going to have to come so close that he too would be stained by sin. And I know we think of it about the final moments and hours of Jesus' life when he wore the weight of the sin of the world. And indeed he did. But I tend to think it started sooner. No, God came so close that there was no way to not be stained by our sin. Not the sin he committed, but the, the sin he absorbed, the collateral damage his entire life. When you move in this close, well, you see it. His family, they were refugees forced to flee. You see it in the way he slandered, the way those who called him friend even turned on him. Stained by, he committed no sin. He had no sin, but he wore the weight of our sin. You try on these glasses and see if you don't get a glimpse of the way he sees us. Do you remember when you were young, really little, and you would bruise a knee or scrape up an elbow? And you, you were hurting. Not like you needed to go to the hospital hurting, but you were hurting. 
And there's this unspoken rule that happens, even though we grew up in different times and different houses, you just, you know what to do when, when you bruise your knee, when you skin up your elbow, you go running for, for mom, because you know, if you can make it to mom, well then mom, mom can kiss it. If she can kiss that knee, that elbow, you know it's, it's going to be all right. And as a kid, you don't stop to wonder why. why, why what is it? But as you get a little bit older, you begin to wonder, what, what, what was it? Do moms have magic saliva? And then as one preacher mused, I wonder. I wonder, is it, is it mom's magic kiss? Or is it even the kiss itself? Or could it be the 10 minutes that you spent in her lap? The look on her face that said, I hurt. Oh, it's not, it's not her knee. It's not her elbow. But the look all over her face, it says, it tells the story. It says, I hurt. Because you hurt, I hurt. I, I'm convinced we'll never fully understand or embrace or even be able to celebrate all that happens on the cross. But one of the things that happens, I don't know if it's a magic kiss or if it's the the time in the lap of love, in the face of the one who says, I hurt. Because you hurt, I hurt. Oh, sure, he could have run back. He could have retreated, settled down in Nazareth. Surely, he could have avoided all the stuff that he saw coming. Lived a quiet life. Never come to live as one of us. But if he did that, I wonder, could we sing what a friend we have in Jesus? All our sins and griefs to bear. I, I don't know if we could have sung that song. He's with us. He's with us. And he came to live as one of us. He came to live as one of us so that we might live as he is. This week, here's my invitation to you. Try on the glasses. These cross-shaped glasses. Try them on. At work. At home. In church. In traffic. Here. Look at people and see. Not from a human point of view, but really see. See someone for whom Christ died. Look at the world and the church. Look at that difficult brother or sister. But also don't forget to look in the mirror. Because there we may catch a glimpse of the way he sees us. And together we can sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear.